everyone welcome back to another episode of hot take time machine the first episode of the biden administration what a let's go what a feeling uh ethan and i are pumped to deliver you guys this absolute tank of an episode we got full nfl uh playoffs we got the recap of the exciting divisional round little preview of the asc and Mm -hmm. nfc championships then we have a very special uh guest appearance from our friend and ufc aficionado Michael Herman, he's going to come in to tell us all about the McGregor-Poirier and Hooker-Chandler fights. Excited to bring him on. Yep. Uh, but first and foremost, Ethan, how are you doing today? How the hell are you? Oh, I'm just great. You know, you wake up and Donald Trump isn't the president anymore. I mean, how could you not be Woo! happy? We got a big slate, like you said, of you know NFL. We got the fights. We got college basketball. The NHL is back. MLB free agency is picking up. We've got it all. I mean, yes, it's sir. really just we're on cloud nine right now in the sports world, eh? Oh, yeah. We've almost too much to cover, so might as well stop beating around the bush and let's just get right into the meat and potatoes. Yes, sir. NFL divisional round. We had uh, some hopeful Cinderella's fall out of the playoffs like the Browns, but also some favorites kind of reaffirm themselves with the Packers and the Chiefs. But let's just get right into uh, the first game of the slate. Green Bay Packers defeated the LA Rams 32 to 18. Um, my wager, you know, I thought, I fucking thought the Rams were going to keep this thing close. I, really, <laughs> you know, ba- I backed them on the spread. I backed them teaser. I, I knew that Green Bay was going to win. I just thought Rams really show up uh, more than they did, but you know, It wasn't really ever a close game. It really started out slow for Los Angeles. What was going to be so important for them was to get a strong start on offense. But, you know, Goff didn't have a terrible day. He just didn't have a good enough day to overcome the bad man himself, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, You know, Matt LaFleur leading the Packers to victory over his former boss, uh, Coach Sean McVay. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, Ethan, I mean, what else can you really say about Rodgers and this Packers team, you know? Yeah, I mean, he just made it look too easy against like a defense that is arguably the best in the NFL. You know, you just have so many generational players on that team. Obviously, you know, Aaron Donald was injured last week, and so he probably wasn't playing at 100% at all. But still, I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers. He threw for 300 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. They were able to get the ground game going. But the thing that really impressed me, honestly, about Green Bay was their defense. You know, they allowed under 300 total yards against a team that's ranked roughly 10th in the league. The Rams were this uh, regular season yeah. in, in uh, total offense. You know, I mean, they had a decent run game, decent pass game at times, but the, the Packers defense showed up. They, they sacked golf four times. I mean, the game was cut to seven points 
2518 in the third quarter, but just the way that the Packers defense was playing and able to really stifle any stifle any offensive effort by the Rams. I mean, it, it never even really seemed that close to me. And, you know, I think that's going to be a big key for the Packers going forward, uh, especially into the NFC championship is can they continue to get this level of production out of the defense? Yeah. I mean, which their defense has been good this year, but streaky. Sometimes they look very good. Other times, you know, they're giving up lots of points, lots of big plays. So I think that LaFleur is really getting because you know what you're getting with Rodgers. You know, you know what you're getting with Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. They're all, you know, all pro or at least at least Pro Bowl caliber players. It's really the X factor. Can the defense replicate the same they played as the Rams in the NFC championship? Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned the Packers defense. I think uh, we need to be giving them a little more credit. You know, I think we are, you know, kind of also culprits, uh, wants to blame in the whole, you know, fault of not giving them enough credit for how much they've carried the Packers through this 2020 regular season. Yeah. Now we're seeing it into the 2021 playoffs. Just kind of mentioning some names here for Green Bay that have kind of gone under the radar, perhaps, that really kind of came to the fore in this game. You know, Rashawn Gary was a phenomenal player from Michigan. He had one and a half sacks, mm -hmm. was really, you know, putting pressure on the Rams offensive line and Jared Goff. Uh, Preston Smith, who... I think if you're an NFL fan, you know that he's a talented player, but he was really making his presence known in this game. And then when you compare that to kind of like you're saying, the the vaunted elite uh, Rams defense that many were lauding as the best in the NFL, Jalen Ramsey, you know, when he was targeted six times, when Rodgers was throwing to him, there were six completions. Ramsey did not have as good yeah. a game as people were saying. Yeah. Obviously, that uh, terrible coverage he had. I, I honestly, maybe that's not terrible coverage because it was an incredibly well-drawn up play on that Devontae Adams touchdown. I think you you might know what I'm referring to uh, the beginning of the game. So maybe that yep. wasn't so much Ramsey's fault, but really seemed like the Rams defense was getting shredded. And, you know, a guy like Aaron Rodgers, when you have him going in conjunction with your guys on defense, these, these Green Bay Packers, you know, their front seven, if, you know, they're inflicting pressure on the golf and, you know, getting past defenses and getting sacks, it's so hard for a team to beat LaFleur's unit, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, granted, you know, we do have golf playing with like a thumb that is like barely hanging on to the rest of his throwing hand. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> expectations are going to be tempered going into that in terms of his offensive output and the passing game in general. But still, you know, the Packers defense, I was really impressed by them. And, and I, I, I just think that they're a very underrated unit. You know, I like that you said that we haven't really given them enough credit over the course of the, you know, home stretch of the regular season and in the playoffs, because that, that's a solid unit. And, and you know, Taylor's all the time defense wins games in the playoffs. And that's really what I think pushed the Packers over the edge in this yeah. one. Uh, but enough of that game. Let's keep it rolling right into the next divisional round game that we had uh, this past weekend. We had the bills, you know, the, the Baltimore Ravens were visiting Buffalo uh, in this game, which, you know, my, my over prediction in the wager wire last week wasn't great. Wasn't, wasn't that far <laughs> off, but just a smooth 31 points, you know, uh, the bills were able to beat the Ravens 17 uh, to three. Uh, uh. This game was a weird game. I mean, Lamar really like the, the Ravens, you know, their claim to fame all season has been, we are going to run the ball down your throat and you're going to have nothing to do about it. And while they ran the ball. Okay. You know, they had over like, I think 140 or 150 total team rushing yards, which I mean, most teams would take that any day of the week, but the issue is Lamar just looked bad. I mean, yeah. prior to leaving with the concussion, you know, uh, before Huntley came in, but 
Lamar just really did not play well. Obviously, he was sacked four times. The Bills were getting constant pressure on him. And we know this about Lamar. We've seen it in years past in the playoffs and in regular seasons. He is not the best thrower. It's no secret. That is not what yeah, the, you know I mean. Harbaugh is going to be relying <laughs> on by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that the Bills just preyed on that. They were able to get that massive pick six which, I mean, I don't even know what Lamar was thinking. It's like there's four Bills defenders in that was bad. front of all the guys you're trying to throw to. You just throw it right to him. It was a really telling game, though. And, and then he leaves with the with, with the concussion after getting absolutely clobbered on a, a play that, you know, that play was almost a safety, right? Like a, the Bills defense, yeah. they stepped up in a big way and were able to get that consistent pressure on Lamar, which I think was able to, you know, allow them to hold the Ravens to only three points, which obviously you'd expect them a team scoring 30 plus points per game to score more than three points in the AFC divisional round. But like I said, it's 2020 and it's the playoffs or 2021 now and it's the playoffs. So you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's uh, it was definitely disappointing to see these Baltimore Ravens go out this way, especially just because of how hot they were. I mean, they hadn't, they hadn't lost. I'm pretty sure since like, I wasn't disappointed. (laughs) Well, okay. Of course, because, that's your that's your bias, but you know I I personally am a Lamar fan. You know I like to see him do well and kind of, kind of speaking of what you're saying is it was it was hard to see him attempt to pass in this game. And then especially going down with a concussion, it was it was just a little bit demoralizing. Especially because you know I was hopeful like you, I was backing this over. You know I was looking toward a shootout of a game, but kind of kind of again yeah. you know another week in the playoffs where the Bills are doing just enough to win even though they did win by double digit, you know, double digit points in this one, it, it wasn't necessarily like a Bills domination fest. It was a lot because the Ravens, you know, were kind of uh, crumbling and, and unraveling at the seams. Uh, Got to mention, you know, Justin Tucker, who people have lauded Ugh. as the most automatic kicker in the NFL. He's just absolutely ice in his veins. You know, the past 10 years, I'm pretty sure he was on the uh, AP NFL, like all decade, all pro team is the best single field goal kicker. Right. He misses two field goals in the first fucking 20 minutes of the game. We're not even halfway through the second quarter and he's already doinked it off of opposite uprights. I think, you know, once that second doink off that uh, right upright happened, you know, the second missed field goal uh, sub 50 yards, I think everyone watching kind of knew, you know, this was not going to be the Baltimore Ravens day and it wasn't, and it wasn't their season. So bills are going to move on to the AFC championship. Uh, You know, Allen and Diggs continue to, carry them offensively you know Diggs had 100 yards and a touchdown kind of light work again for him you know just another day at the office Bill's defense kind of like you were saying you know they played exactly how they need to and I really like the form that they've got going into this AFC championship but the team that they're facing AFC championship Ethan uh I want to hear what you had to say about this one the Kansas City Chiefs gonna move to the next game talk about uh their victory over the Cleveland Browns you know wasn't as much of a surprise to everyone that the Chiefs pulled out victorious, but you kind of, uh, you know, opened the hood and unpacked the details, the anatomy of their win. You know, it isn't perhaps the most exciting, most encouraging thing for Kansas City. So uh, why don't you give everyone a little lowdown, a little recap on what happened in KC Arrowhead Stadium in this one? Yeah, sure. Well, so this game was a really weird game. You know, I think even just going into it, there were a lot of question marks for both teams. I mean, the Browns, you have them coming off this 
ridiculous win against the Steelers where, you know, they forced five turnovers. They put up over 40 points. It was like the Browns. I mean, just judging from that game alone, you'd think that like, Oh, they're like the best team in the AFC, even though the Steelers, I mean, we obviously aren't really that good, but still like the Browns just smoked yeah. us. And then you have the chiefs, you know, they had the first round by, they also sat everybody or at least everybody of note uh, on the offense in weeks was was there going to be an issue with rust you know were they going to be well rested enough or too well rested uh it was that kind of game where it was just really setting up to be a weird game and it did just that i mean uh in the first half you know mahomes mahomes wasn't playing poorly by any stretch of the imagination he was still had a very good completion percentage he was 21 for 30 overall for 250 yards he had a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown uh but it wasn't, you know, that that signature dominant performance that we become so accustomed to seeing from Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you, you'd expect him against especially uh, a defense like the Browns, which they have a bunch of solid players, but are, you know, especially this year, very susceptible to giving up big plays. You'd expect yeah. Mahomes to feast off that. He really didn't. And then he leaves the game. Well, at first he hurt his ankle, but stayed in the game in the first half. And then he leaves the game in the third quarter with a concussion. I mean, we'll get to that in the circumstances surrounding that later, but he goes into the concussion protocol and Chad Henney has to come in and hold on to this quickly diminishing yeah. lead that maybe <laughs> shouldn't even be there in the first place, you know, because we had that one play with Richard Higgins where he fumbles out of his own end zone. Yeah, that was it's wild. a freak play. It could have easily been a touchdown, but it ends up being a touchback and that changed the entire sort of momentum and slate of the game, I think, because the Browns, while they weren't looking dominant really at all, they were hanging in there. You know, you got to give them credit. Like you go to Arrowhead, they had fans there. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Andy Reid. They're the defending Super Bowl champions. They're, you really can't ask for a tougher opponent. And and the Browns were holding their own. But again, you know, somehow just as it's the tale as old as time, the Browns find a way to choke it out. Granted, it was in the divisional round this year, but yeah. the Chiefs, I mean, Chad Henney, Got to give it to Chad Henney. That running uh, play on the third and long, insane. And then how ballsy is it? I mean, Tony Romo was like losing his mind when they went for it on the fourth down. Shotgun snap to Chad Henney, and he finds Tyreek Hill for the game-clinching first down. This Chiefs team, you know, they just somehow always find a way to win. Yeah, you know, I I love the Mahomes tweet after the game. Anything is possible. Uh, It's kind of a – yeah. Shout out to, to Kevin Garnett, 2008 Celtics, that iconic quote. I mean, Kenny, this his stat line for the game. He only threw two incompletions for, for you know, final 66 yards, six rushes, 24 yards. And, of course, uh, kind of that one play you mentioned, you know, that third and long rush, which was just sensational, you know, that that narrow spot at the line, fourth and inches, then throw to Tyree Kill. I was so impressed with what I saw out of Chad Henney in this game. And, you know, I think just kind of on the Cleveland Browns, like you had said, it wasn't, you know, the blowout, like really impressive showing that they had against the Steelers. But I think, you know, just putting the 2020 Cleveland Browns season, you know, just kind of wrapping it up and in and, and its packages that, you know, it's a sensational team that they had. You know, they Kevin Stefanski, I think, should be the NFL coach of the year just with how much he was able yeah. to turn around this team and really, I think, inspire true improvement out of his out of his guys you know these these young unseasoned unproven players Baker Mayfield I think uh you know made absolutely incredible strides this season and 
played pretty well in this game. He threw his first interception in something like over his over 350 pass last pass attempts. Like he was really good and really gave the Browns a shot to win this game. They had the ball. They had a drive where they could have, you know, scored a touchdown, taken the lead, but obviously uh, the experience and tenacity of the chiefs pulled through and uh, you know, it was an exciting game to watch. Obviously you don't want to see Patrick Mahomes go down with that kind of concussion, but uh, you know, chiefs moving back to the AFC championship third year in a row, third time in a row, They'll be hosting it at Arrowhead Stadium. And mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the Browns are going to do in these next couple of years because we know they'll be back in the NFL playoffs and the Chiefs will probably not be going anywhere either. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I like what you said about Stefanski and just the entire sort of spirit that the Browns have built up over the past year and a half or so. I think in large part, I mean, I, this is purely speculative, but I've been reading a decent amount about uh, or like from, you know, uh, Brown's beat writers, Cleveland reporters, that sort of thing. Uh, they've been talking a lot about how Jarvis Landry actually seems like he was one of the true catalysts in changing the mentality within yeah. that locker room and within that organization, Shout out Jarvis. which is, you know, it's pretty impressive because that I'm the Browns were the laughing stock of the NFL for pretty much our entire lifetime until this season and you know like to lose to the chiefs by only five points on the road like that is still pretty impressive i mean Mahomes went down obviously yeah yeah they did they covered by plus 10 you know i mean it was odd circumstances of course but a cover is a cover no matter how you slice it Uh, (laughs) and like you said we'll be looking for the browns to achieve some success uh at least in terms of you know making the playoffs again and being very competitive All right, let's keep it rolling, though, into that last game. Uh, We had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers topping the New Orleans Saints 30-20. to This game, you know, I think it was kind of just a fitting way to end this divisional round. You know, uh, not a super exciting game necessarily for the casual fan that doesn't have a true vested interest in it. Um, Yeah, Breeze, what more can you really say? He didn't play well at all. He only threw for 134 yards, three interceptions in what is most likely his final game of his career. You know, it's a tough way to go out, but the Buccaneers, you know, their defense showed up. I mean, you know, Brady's going to play well every single week. He had 200 yards, two touchdowns and added a rushing touchdown, which, you know, not very Brady-esque, but it's, it's 2020, 2021 NFL season. So you know that that's something's weird, weird is going to happen, but the Bucs, I mean, their defense, that their defense was the key. I think they stepped up in some really big spots. They had four total takeaways, including like those three interceptions. Uh, They just really stifled any attempt for the Saints offense to get going, you know. And then we learn, of course, after the game, Michael Thomas is going to need multiple surgeries. Uh, He had a torn deltoid, I think it's called or something. Uh, He's got a bunch of stuff wrong with his ankle. He's been playing with that all season. It definitely didn't help his poor performance in this one. Um, And, you know, even though this game was tied 20 to 20 in the third quarter, it's still like, it's kind of similar to, and at least in my opinion, to the Packers Rams game, it never seemed like it was in that much doubt for me, at least that the bucks were going to win. It was just a matter of, okay, when are they going to really pull away? Because throughout the game, they were just playing, I think a lot more consistently well than the saints were on both sides of the ball. And you know, the saints, they, they had a score that was a, a punt return. They almost had another one. That was like a, a large part of their off was just special teams and and bucks were able to capitalize on their lack of offensive efficiency and and you know come out with a fairly easy victory here 
Yeah, it's, um, you know, Buccaneers defense, we were kind of talking about when we were doing our preview for this last week that they're going to really need to step it up from the performance that they displayed against Washington because, you know, I was sitting here and I was like, okay, well, like, if they're just going to continue playing like this, like, they're going to get torn apart by these studs for the Saints. But, um, you know, credit to Arians and I think Todd Bowles, right, is their defensive coordinator for, you know, really spurring the team on and forcing them to adjust to this – Saints offense that was vulnerable going into this game and you know they really capitalized like I kind of mentioned uh, the Saints in both of their victories over the Buccaneers in the regular season had three or more turnovers and then in this game the Buccaneers defense was the one that they flipped that script on New Orleans and they got four turnovers three of which then gave the ball to Tom Brady in New Orleans territory and resulted in either field goals or touchdowns I mean there was just no way New Orleans was going to win this game when you know, Jared Cook is fumbling it and Breeze is, you know, missing his targets badly that are basically gifting the ball to Tampa Bay. I mean, you could argue that over half of the points on the scoreboard for Tampa Bay were yielded indirectly by these miscues for the Saints. And it was sad, honestly, bro. Like, I obviously, you know, I'm a big Tom Brady fan because I've watched him, you know, my whole life. He's probably my favorite football player ever. But, you know, it's still like very bitter to watch him perform so well for this you know, new team, a team that many are considering underdogs in this, uh, you know, kind of NFC playoffs landscape and, you know, just kind of seeing him have the success and then dethrone a guy like, or not dethrone, I mean, uh, and the career, I guess, of a guy like Drew Brees, who I've loved watching, you know, growing up, had so many sensational Saints teams and what many would argue were more talented offensive yep. uh, weapons and receiving cores than Brady has had over his career. Just to see Drew Brees go out like this, you know, in a really uh, disappointing, embarrassing fashion, yet another Saints season just vaporizing into the dust late into the playoffs. Uh, it's hard to watch, but at the <laughs> same time, give it a breeze for, you know, stay, staying the course and finishing out this season uh, with all the injuries that he's had, with all the injuries that this offense has experienced. So congrats to Brady and the Bucks, obviously, but it's sad, you know. I'm, I'm sad to see Drew go out like this. Uh, but enough of moping about uh, the playoff losers. Let's get to <laughs> matchups of the winners uh, heading into this weekend. Ethan um, got Bills, Chiefs, AFC Championship. We'll preview that one first. Uh, let me kind of hear some of the trends and themes that you're thinking about going into this one. Sure. Well, you know, first and foremost, I think the real, obviously, fairly, you know, evident key is is Mah- home's going to play and so is he going to be 100 percent? and i would say you know it seems like they're fairly optimistic andy reed has been talking about it a lot uh this over the course of this week you know he's been practicing in limited fashion he's been doing all the right stuff to get him out of concussion protocol that said he also suffered the ankle injury too which i think is uh going a little bit under the radar i i, I think if he plays he's not going to be at 100 yeah and you know that's something that we've really yet to see Mahomes has really not sustained any major injuries over the course of his uh, you know short but still illustrious career with the chiefs and I, that's going to be a, a weird hurdle for, you know, Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and the rest of the guys involved with the offense to sort of overcome. Because then on the flip side, while the Bills are the visiting team, they also have an incredible offense. I mean, we've seen it week in and week out. The, the Allen to Diggs connection is becoming one of the best, probably the best in the AFC and second in the NFL only to, I would say, Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they just have so many different options 
options in that passing game, even beyond digs, that it just makes the Bills offense very dangerous. And, and you know, how is Mahomes going to be able to step up in a game that I think will be fairly high scoring? You know, of course, none of these games really have been, but you'd think at least the way both teams set up against one another with decent defenses, but just they're all offense and all passing offense. You're, you got to think this is going to be some sort of shootout, you know? Yeah, I um, you know, I'm hoping for more offense in this one. We kind of the the hyped offensive matchup last <laughs> week didn't really live up to expectation. So I think that means this one has to. That over is definitely hitting now. Um yeah. I uh I kind of appreciate what you're saying, but I think um something we have to really put in perspective is just kind of the this Kansas City Chiefs team as a whole because uh of course, you know, they had their Super Bowl run last year, you know, all of this year they've been the favorites. And the line right now, you know, is currently set for the Bills at, I think, like plus 130. So they're really giving them basically a a toss-up chance, you know, just slight underdog. You know, maybe we're Mm -hmm. just, you know, misinterpreting the Chiefs, like underselling them. Like we might not fully get that they're becoming goats in their own right, Mahomes and Reed, because we've sat here almost every NFL episode and we've kind of repeated the same refrain, the same lyrics about the Chiefs where – you know, they're so dominant, you know, we don't have to get into detail, like oh, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. But at the same time, when we go to the wager wire, there's a lot of fluctuation that we do in terms of like, okay, well, their wins aren't actually that dominant. You know, there's profit to be had yeah. against the spread with them. And I'm going to talk about this a little more in the wager wire. So, uh, you know, I think this is a really big kind of exposure kind of game for, you know, who this Kansas City Chiefs team is. And, you know, are they going to be the Chiefs team that, you know, has barely covered against teams like the Dolphins and the Browns? Or are they going to be the Chiefs team that, you know, we were really convinced who they were after last year's Super Bowl? You know, a team that basically has no ceiling in terms of offense and can run up a score and score at will with any team. So um, mm-hmm. kind of a theme for this one that I'm looking toward is even with this Mahomes injury, because right now it looks like he's going to play, but, you know, he's not going to be at the full 100% right. that he was in most of the other games for this Chiefs team, you know, who are they under this kind of duress, under this adversity? How will they persevere, you know, up against probably their most formidable opponent that the Mahomes and Reed regime has faced up to this point, you know, because a lot of people argue, and I'm, I'm not sure if you'll agree or disagree with this, that these are the two top teams in the NFL in the entire 2020 season. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with your take about how this is like a real, like, prove it game for the chiefs in the sense that it's like prove that you this is like one of the best teams of at least the 21st century that we've seen yeah because they really do have the opportunity to cement that with a win here and then even just a good showing slash a victory in the super bowl i mean of course it's all speculative they still have to win this weekend but uh you know again like you said the bills are very good too and while i don't necessarily think that they're definitively the second best team in the NFL. I mean, well, we'll say the Chiefs are just because, you know, it's tough to dispute that at this point, defending champions. And well, the Bills are not necessarily, I mean, the Packers are great too, but if their defense can play the way they played right. last week against right. that Ravens offense, I think they're very much on their way to that second spot because that's clearly going to be the key in this one. You know, can the Bills defense do enough to not, you're not going to stop Mahomes. That is inevitable. If he's playing, he's going to be making plays, whether it's with his feet or in the passing right, game. Right. We just know that as a fact. However, can you get enough pressure on him to limit him a little bit and give your high powered offense an opportunity to, you know, 
take advantage and maybe either take the lead or get yourself back into it or just keep it close. I mean, that's really, I think, going to be the key in this one uh, and and primarily their, their pass rush because their secondary, you know, they have a lot of really solid players, but it's the pass rush that is the real X factor, I think. And I think that's going to be McDermott's biggest point of emphasis this week in terms of preparing is getting them ready to try to get some pressure on Mahomes, try to make him, you know, either throw the ball away or settle for, a shorter pass than he would like to a wide open Tyreek Hill or something. And, you know, we're going to see, can the bills step up or the chiefs really just that dominant that they can overcome anyone. Yeah. It's uh no, I like that you mentioned the bills defense here because uh, as it, as it is the biggest test for them up to this point, guys like uh, Tredavious white, Tremaine Edmonds, Jordan Poyer, uh, obviously Taron Johnson had that sensational play last week, you know, how will those names etch yep. themselves into NFL history as just the, you know, the whatever guys on a defense of a team with an incredible offense or the guys who stopped Patrick Mahomes big gap between those two. Right. Um, I'm really excited for this one, Ethan, obviously, you know, Josh Allen's going to do his thing for, for uh, that aforementioned bills offense and is going to keep this game competitive for Sean McDermott's guys. But I'm curious. I know, I know you don't like to always do this, but give me, give me just your general prediction of a score for this one. No, for this, I'll give uh, the Steelers are eliminated these games. Uh, Obviously, we're doing the AFC championship now, so I'll go right into it. You know, I think this is more of I really want this to happen than I think it actually will happen just because, you know, it's still like we've been saying for the last month and a half, two months, it's still the Chiefs. And until they lose, like you can't it's all just speculation, you know, that said. I really like the Bills in this one. I, I think that if anybody has the chance to dethrone the Chiefs, it's going to be Buffalo. And uh, while I think it's going to be a very close game, I think the Bills are going to win, I'll say by like three to five points. I won't give an exact score, but I think three to five points, uh, both teams over 30. You know, I think it's a high scoring game and it's really just going to come down to who can draw possessions out longer, yeah. chew up some clock and still, you know, get points from those drives because you know that both teams have the potential to just, you know, score on a two, three play quick 70 yard drive and who can outlast the other. That's going to be the real key, I think here. So give me the bills uh, by three to five points in this one. Yeah, I uh, I like that call. Um, I'll get to it a little bit more in the wage wire, but I also do um, like the bills and, and the odds for the, for them in this game. I just think that, um, you know, there's so much working in their favor and and the chiefs have been kind of cruising for a bruise in a little bit, but I do think it'll be a close high scoring game. Give me uh, the bills by four points and we'll see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm hoping for an upset just to spice up some things, but the chiefs could very well beat them by 20 points. And uh, I fully realize that, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta consider these things as an NFL fan in the 2020s, you know? Right. That's the thing. I think at least my pick and probably yours too, it's also rooted at least to a certain extent in just like optimism that, Oh, right. we're not going to see the same team win the Super Bowl again. Cause I don't, I think everybody would like yeah, some parody. I mean, the bills are a tough team to dislike just because of how bad they've been over the last 25 right, years. Right. So yeah, I mean, look, I, I want the bills to win too. I'll be, I'll be, I'll come right out and say that. So maybe it's a little bit motivated by that, but regardless, I think we're in for a really great game. Uh, and then on the flip side, let's move on to the NFC championship. Another game that I sure. think will be equally as entertaining 
Uh, you know, we uh, as we mentioned, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers facing the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay. Um, this game, you know, uh, again, very interesting matchup. Obviously, any game that's in Green Bay in the playoffs, weather is going to be a factor, at least to a certain extent, whether it's cold or whether there's any sort of uh, precipitation, you know, that's going to play into it. But still, we have two extremely high-powered offenses and sneaky good defenses, as we mentioned. And, of course, two of the best QBs to ever do it in Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers matching up against one another. Uh, Theo, what do you like in this game, and what are you, what are you looking for for some keys? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you, you, you mentioned that and didn't just skate over that we've got two of the GOATs facing off in this game. And it really is such a treat. Yep. They're not only playing into this stage of their career, you know, Rodgers is something like 47, Brady something absurd like 43, but that they are playing at career level, high production, just absolutely destroying opponents, especially Brady in the second half of the season. Just fucking absurd what this 40 year old has been able to do uh, against these kind of, you know, new age, future, futuristic defenses and all these young explosive players, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And Rogers Brady going up against each other uh, in an NFC championship, you know, when we haven't seen many kind of contests between the two of them, I'm really excited to see what this matchup is going to bring because, you know, the offense is going to be flowing through both of them uh, for Green Bay and Tampa Bay, respectively. Uh, I'll get into it a little bit more in the wager wire, but kind of tracking, you know, what these two teams are bringing to the table from their past matchups. Obviously, you got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have been flaming hot lately. You know, they they went 11 and five in the regular season, but I think they really have been playing more like a 13 and three or 14 and two kind of team. So the record doesn't exactly reflect uh, just kind of uh, the harmony and the intensity with which um, Arians has got their offense and defense running. So, you know, the spread is set for them currently at plus three. That's a lot, uh, you know, low of a number than I think a lot of people would have predicted going into this game, you know, even a couple weeks prior to this. Then you got the Green Bay Packers who own kind of unquestionably the best offense in the NFC with Rodgers and that sensational Green Mm -hmm. Bay offensive line. Aaron Jones has afforded himself as a top 10 running back in the NFL. Devontae Adams making an argument for the single best wide receiver in the NFL and uh, just kind of Rodgers, you know, yep. rising tides lift all boats with the emergence of guys like Tunyon, Lazard, St. Brown, Valdez Scantling, uh, even guys like Dylan and Williams, who have played a big role for them uh, on offense in the middle of these games. So, you know, I'm really excited to see these uh, clash of the Titans in this one. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, kind of like we were talking about how this Bucks defense holds up against an offense that, is playing with a quarterback who's much more informed as opposed to Drew Brees, who was, you know, throwing picks left and right. Rodgers is a guy who I think he had something like 48 touchdowns this season. And how many picks he had five picks, 48 and five. So yep. it's going to be really hard for the Tampa Bay defense to uh, get the kind of turnovers that they did against New Orleans. But uh, Ethan, what else are you looking toward in this game? What are some other keys? And I'm curious what a prediction you might have for in this game. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll go into some of the keys, I think, for maybe one or two for each team first. I think for the Buccaneers, like you were alluding to with that defense, they're really going to need to step up and not necessarily replicate their performance this past week against the Saints, but at least do that to a certain extent. You know, you it's it's like what I was saying with the Bills defense against Mahomes. You know Rodgers is going to be making plays 
I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers. He was absolutely dominant in what is most likely going to be an MVP season for him uh, this year. I don't expect that to change very much, even against this defense. But I think if the Bucs want a shot, they're going to need to try to force at least a turnover, you know, whether it's an interception, a fumble, something, just get the ball out of Rodgers' hands. And, and try to capitalize on it. I mean, if Brady is going to be Brady too, that it's the same thing, but on the flip side as Rodgers. And it's just really a question of can the Bucks defense step up and take the ball away from Aaron Rodgers? Because if not, I mean, the Packers are going to be a tough team to beat. Yeah. However, the, the Bucks defense did have four takeaways last week. So against, I mean, Breeze is not nearly the level that Rodgers is currently, but he's still an all-time great quarterback. And that is still pretty impressive. So you never know. But again, uh, that's going to be a real key, I think. And then on the flip side, if you're looking at the Packers, you know, I, I think for them, their defense is, is a good defense. It's not really as much of a question mark. Uh, they've been playing really well as of late. I expect that to continue to happen. Um, and I think the real key is just going to be, you know, can they establish the run like they have uh, recently with Aaron Jones? Because Aaron Jones is a very underrated player, in my opinion. He had 100 yards and a touchdown last week uh, in the divisional round. He's going to be probably the most coveted free agent running back in, you know, this offseason. You, you got to think the Packers are going to at least make a run at re-signing him. And, and he's going to be the one, I think, that can – you know, really push them to that next level offensively. He can help them chew clock, lengthen yep. drives, and yep. ultimately keep Brady off the field, which that's going to be the biggest downfall for the Bucks if that can happen. Because Brady's, you know, Brady's going to be the one in the game. So with that, I'll go to my prediction. Uh, I'm still I'm still riding high on the Bucks just because, you know, I, I took them a couple weeks ago, plus 850 to win the Super Bowl. I think they're still criminally underrated just because of the level that Brady's playing at. So give me the Bucks 24 to 20 in this one. I think it's a close yeah. game, but the Bucks edged the Packers out late on the road. I know it's kind of crazy, but again, how can you bet against Brady, you know? Yeah. That's uh, I, I as a guy who's watched Brady in all these playoff games over the years, uh, it's you know something, something kicks in. You know he becomes a different breed in the playoffs. So I like the Bucks for scary. For um, you know I like the Bucks to keep this one close. I think it will be a good game, but I just think Rodgers is on a fucking mission this season. It's probably the best Packers team he's had since they went fifteen and one in two thousand eleven. So give me Rodgers in this one. Uh, I like him to go to his first Super Bowl since Super Bowl 45 in 2010 over at your Pittsburgh Steelers. But so that's going to wrap up our NFL playoffs update, uh, recap and preview. But we got another special event this weekend. Uh, we got UFC 257. Excited to give you guys another yes, MMA preview. I know uh, Ethan and Michael are hyped. I, you know, admittedly, got to be honest with you guys, don't know as much about this as I do about most of the sports, but, uh, you know, excited to be learning something new. And anytime you see McGregor on the fight card, definitely uh, inspires some interest from any sports fan. So uh, welcome back to the show, Mike. It's good to have you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be back breaking down a McGregor fight card. It's always an yeah, exciting it's time. it's going to be an awesome McGregor fight. Show I mean, town. We're going to have some great stuff to look forward to. Obviously, let me just set the scene a little bit for UFC 257. You know, it's the rematch McGregor Poirier 2. Uh, you know, the last time they fought was September 2014, I believe. They have not faced off against, against each other since then. However, they both faced and beaten some fairly formidable opponents. I think we're in for a real treat this weekend, don't you, Mike? I think the rematch certainly is not the same fight. 
as when these two men first faced off at 145 pounds. But yep. it's it's certainly no less of a spectacle now that they're running it back at 155. I think we have a lot to look forward to and a lot to dissect in this fucking heavyweight of a main event <laughs> between these two lightweights. Of course. Yes, sir. I mean, let's just start with McGregor, I guess. You know, a guy, I mean, he obviously won uh, by TKO in, you know, it was about two minutes in that first fight. But I mean, as of late, he hasn't really fought that much. Since 2016, only fought twice. He lost, you know, obviously that that infamous neck crank by Khabib in 2018 where, oh, you yeah. know, he basically was just being ragged all the round. While it was still a decent fight, I mean, it's Khabib is Khabib. We all know that. He is yeah. the GOAT, in my opinion. And then we had McGregor, uh, you know, that in t- early 2020 this past year against uh, Cowboy Sony. That was, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it was McGregor wins by TKO. He really didn't have to exert a ton of energy. It was just like it seemed like we were getting back right? to McGregor that so many people know and love or hate. But uh, what are you going to be looking for from McGregor in this one? A guy that really hasn't had a ton of major experience in the past two years while he still has obviously built himself up to be one of the premier uh, MMA fighters in the world. Understanding that you know, in all of 2020, Conor McGregor spent 40 seconds inside the octagon while right. he claimed that he wanted, you know, have the season, the three fights, you know, do it all, win belts, all that jazz. I really don't think we're going to see a dull Conor McGregor coming in um, yeah. this Saturday. I think when you get to be the caliber of athlete that Conor McGregor is, and when you commit the way that he's seemingly committed this fight camp, You know, you're really, you know, ring rust is kind of a mentality. Certain fighters Mm -hmm. don't believe in it and it really doesn't affect them. Certain fighters do believe in it and it really gets to them at the end of the day. But I mean, Conor McGregor is, you know, he's not that definitely he's not new to the spotlight. He's not new to the focus. He's not new to, you know, coming back for the big return. I believe this man's retired four times something like that Mm -hmm. there's really there's really no worry in my end that connor's not going to show up to this spectacle prepared um to put on a show that being said i am interested i am interested to see if he's if this talk of i want to go to war with dustin poirier is true i've been watching a few interviews as of late and he's been saying you know like i i don't mind a fight with dustin I'll really, I'll really <laughs> go out there and, and leave it all on the line. But that's not the Conor McGregor we know. I mean, we've seen it against Nate Diaz, and we've seen, you know, glimpses of it against Chad Mendez. But mm-hmm. I really think Conor loves a viral KO, clean, you know, quick. It's it's his bread and butter. It's the Jose Aldo. Right. It's the yeah. Dustin Poirier. It's the Eddie Alvarez. It's what we come to know and love. Some of us hate out of Conor McGregor. But I, I really do think that if Connor's going to win this fight, and I, I do believe he will, and we'll get to why later, that it's not going to be too dissimilar from how the first fight went. Now, surely it's not going to be a mirror of what happened the last time they faced off. But do I anticipate that Connor's going to set up traps and he's going to, you know, manage the distance very well and he's going to explode in those first mm-hmm. two rounds? Of course, that's Connor McGregor. He's at 155 pounds. He's not carrying that extra weight. 
that he normally carries up at 170. And, you know, we saw yep. that sometimes for all for, uh, you know, as fun as it is to take those mirror pictures at 170 pounds <laughs> in, in rounds four and five doesn't do you great when you got yeah. someone like Nate Diaz coming yeah. at you like a Wolverine. Yeah. And Dustin Poirier is no slouch in rounds four and five. He's going to be there and he's going to be in Connor's face. So if Connor doesn't yeah. put him away early, the, the fight really starts to trend well for Dustin to Diamond Poirier. I'm glad you mentioned that, Mike. Uh, I'm just going to hop in here and, uh, you know, drop a quote that specifically kind of relates to what you're talking about. You know, the, McGregor having to be pushed, you know, into these later rounds and just, you know, how unstable of a fight that could make for him. And, uh, you know, like you said, Poirier hates this man. Like he's marinating in his own mind since 2014, like all the ways he can get over on McGregor. I mean, People in every press conference basically since then have kind of been asking him about it. The quote that I want to read is, uh, you know, he says, every minute past the 60 second mark, he's getting in deeper and deeper water. McGregor is. And that's what I'm looking forward to. If he makes a mistake, I can touch him and put him away. If we get in a scramble, I promise you and get a hold of his neck. The fight's going to be over. The longer this thing goes, the worse it's going to be for him. And I'll tell you what, if I get a guillotine and a scramble, we're going to be renaming this thing from Fight Island to Gilligan's Island. So Poirier <laughs> putting a lot of confidence into uh, being able to push McGregor into these late rounds. Um, I'm curious what you have to say. You know, you, you mentioned him having to put, push him late, but what specifically in the ring do you think Poirier has to do to really give himself a shot at victory after round two? Well, I think not only does Dustin Poirier have a track record of being able to do, you know, he, he can back this kind of talk up, uh, back this kind of talk up. You know, he's got wars against Dan Hooker, you know, who we'll talk about later. He's got wars against um, Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje. I, I mean, these are these are the who's who of 155 pounds. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the keys to getting McGregor to burn out early is certainly a lot of clinch work. That's not something Connor wants to do. He wants to stay at range and he wants to strike. And if Connor is going to stay at range and strike, chop, chop the base out from underneath him, you know, hammer that inside leg kick. You've got two southpaws going up against each other. And, you know, the way that that works out is that you've got a very easy angle for that inside leg kick. And if you can chop Connor's feet out from underneath him, not only is he going to not be able to manage the distance in the way that he wants to, but, you know, when those later rounds, your leg's going to get real heavy. They're going to feel real tired. It's going to be real hard to keep bouncing on those feet, stuffing takedowns, you know, staying in the clinch, scrambling, all these things that Dustin Poirier is saying. I mean, Dustin Poirier is talking about how, you know, he really wants to, you know, change this to guillotine Island, make it, make it his own. I think, I think that's probably the way that these guys from American top team are breaking down this fight. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I like what uh, you brought up about Poirier too. And just the fact that he's going to be uh, like very clearly very hungry for this one, just because he has looked a different fighter over yeah. it's been 10 bouts since the 2014 you know the initial fight between these two uh and while connor you know we know what connor is going to bring he's so skilled so technical he does have i think a two inch reach advantage but other than that they are is an even playing field you know and i think poirier with that endurance that he's very much built up over the past 10 fights is going to be looking to bring that like both of you were sort of alluding to so that he, he can get beyond that first round where you know connor is going to be coming out so hard with those left hooks trying to get that signature 
or, you know, early round knockout, just the big viral moment, like you said, Mike. And uh, I think if Poirier can do that, then he's got as good a shot as anybody against McGregor because don't, you know, while the odds are very much in favor of McGregor and for good reason, I mean, he's still an incredible MMA fighter at minus 300 Poirier plus 235. I mean, Poirier is he's a fucking animal and he yeah. can he can hang with any of them. I, I actually think that, you know, I when I was first really doing my research and going about, you know, trying to think up of my what I'm going to, you know, give as a take. I was like, okay, it's going to be McGregor. You know, it's going to be. I mean, it's just too easy. It's too simple. But now I, now that I think more, yeah. I mean, Poirier. He has fought some no very, very, and beaten some very good opponents. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I, I think this could be much closer to a toss up than people are anticipating and people realize. I mean, I've read what a lot of different, you know, fighters and analysts within uh, MMA and UFC, especially, have been saying. And, and everybody is pretty high on Poirier, not that they're not on McGregor, but, you know, Poirier has just really evolved, I think, in such an impressive way sure. as a fighter that it sure. you'd be foolish to give him a shot, especially if he gets past that first round. He's 10-2 and two since fighting McGregor in 2014. Right. And you can't make that I mean, stuff up. So, so you know, I, I'm going to be interested to see. But, again, it's also going to be about – what his defense looks like, especially, I mean, I know I'm going to say it again, and I'm saying it now, the early rounds, but his defense against those big punishing blows that you know McGregor is going to be bringing, you know, very early on when he can still use all of his energy, get everything into those big hits. And if Perry can weather that storm, he, I mean, it's going to be a little bit of trouble for McGregor, no doubt. Sure, sure, naturally. I think one of the most interesting things leading up into this fight is, you know, the weight, you know, obviously not at 145 right. pounds. Yeah. These guys are not draining themselves. You know, it's a new weight yep. class. Dustin Poirier truly looks like a diamond at 155. He's very hard to crack. Mm-hmm. What, what excites me, you know, about seeing McGregor come back down to 155 pounds potentially not after the season, you know, this, this alleged season that was supposed to happen is that he's had the time to, you know, really, you know, get the fitness, right. Get the training, right. You know, he says he stayed off the proper 12 and, you know, he's waiting (laughs) until Sunday morning. And that's apparently that's the difference, you know, we saw between the Khabib camp and the Cerrone camp, you know, Connor really put his ego in check, put the bottle aside and said, I need to get back to work. Um, and he's, he's done, he's replicated that same kind of training regimen and mentality for this camp. So I, I'm really, I'm excited to see, you know, if Connor's cardio is what he thinks it will be. And I'm also, mm-hmm. I'm relieved to see that, you know, both these fighters have taken the time, the requisite time to get their bodies in shape. Justin Poirier's last fight was Dan Hooker. And that was a contender for fight of the year. I mean, that was war. Yeah. That was a no attrition doubt warfare it was brutal (laughs) beautiful yeah yeah i like that you brought up khabib also just because obviously i mean everybody that you know follows ufc uh has been keeping an eye on that after his fight with justin gaethje that we talked about uh you know a couple months ago and then dana white has that meeting with khabib in which they discussed possible you know a return to ufc coming out of this retirement that he 
seemed like he had was fairly set on but of course it's the ufc so you never really know but i mean that's another thing i think connor and poirier are both really going to be trying to do is impress khabib enough so that they can get that fight because obviously this isn't a title fight uh you know it's just full-blown grudge match is going to be still crazy ratings and the pay-per-view is going to be out of control but that's another i think very interesting storyline to this fight is is khabib gonna see enough to really convince him okay, like I want to fight one of these guys. I need to, it's going to be a good move. And, you know, I think that's just going to even lend itself to a better fight because it's an added, you know, piece of motivation for Poirier, but especially McGregor, who's going to want to try to get back to that, you know, that chance to redeem himself after that brutal neck crank loss uh, to Khabib. And I think it was what, 2018? Khabib McGregor too. Khabib McGregor too. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so that's an added element to this that just makes it all the more enticing. Right. I mean, what I'll say there is that even before we, you know, we had the decision, the announcement to, you know, there was a lot of ambiguity around what was going on. No one, you know, things were up in the air. And I think given that the impetus to put on a stellar, stunning, you know, standout performance was definitely still there. I think, you know, you go out there, you make a statement with an exclamation point and Mm -hmm. suddenly it's a lot harder for the UFC to deny you a title shot, you know, whether that's against Khabib, whether it means stripping him, which I'm not advocating for, but, you know, we've seen champions not even get chances to defend their belts in the UFC before being stripped. Yeah. Um, Yep. And then, you know, in, in the in the co-main, you've got Dan Hooker, you've got Michael Chandler, you've got um, Charles Oliveira, who just manhandled Tony Ferguson, which I don't think anyone has really ever said in the UFC. Um, I, I mean, there's it's certainly a, a killer's row at 155 pounds. The question is, you know, who does Khabib want to come back and put 30-0 and 0 on the line for? Yeah, no doubt. I, I uh, definitely agree. I mean, I, I, that would be a very interesting thing if, if you know, one of the two can really show out because, of course, Khabib. I mean, to me, Khabib is the goat. I mean, that obviously everybody I mean, has he their holds, own takes, but uh, he yeah, holds chokes few, over both these men. <laughs> right, exactly. So that would be a whole nother thing too. Is do either of these guys even have a shot against Khabib after his, you know, alleged retirement, but that's a different conversation for right now. We're still on UFC 257. And speaking of which we also have another, at least in my opinion, very, very interesting fight, uh, which is the co-main, you know, we have Dan Hooker against, uh, UFC debutee or whatever the word is for it, making his UFC debut, Michael Chandler. Uh, You know, this this is a lightweight co-main. Both guys are very experienced. Hooker's got a 20 and nine career record. Uh, Chandler, you know, he's 17 and five career uh, record with Bellator. Both guys are very highly regarded and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that Bellator experience translates uh, to, you know, the UFC and such a formidable opponent in Dan Hooker, you know? Naturally. I mean, you know, whenever you make a signing from another organization, it's always with a lot of question marks, you know, Oh, you know, it wasn't the UFC. How's he going to look? Who's he fought? What's his record? Was he a champion? Thankfully with Michael Chandler, you know, he's kind of been one of the faces of Bellator. So it's not that hard for a casual fan to go out there and find out who Michael Chandler is and what Michael Chandler is about in 30 minutes or less. Um, That being said, I think 
you know, this is certainly a pressure test for Michael Chandler. They are not doing him any favors by throwing him in there against um, Dan Hooker. I mean, Dan Hooker, you know, coming off that loss to Dustin Poirier and a potential fight of the year candidate last year has really reinvented himself uh, in, in this last camp. You know, New Zealand is a very different place right now. They have uh, a very, you know, normal way of life. He's been you know, really enjoying this past few months. He's been really enjoying training down at City Kickboxing. Home Must of be nice. Isra- home of Israel Adesanya, middleweight champion. Yep. Home of Alex Volkanovsky, 145-pound champion. I mean, this man is a sparring partner for a lot of belt holders in the UFC. So I, I really don't think, you know, he- Michael Chandler is getting like a, a easy walk, an easy introduction to the UFC here. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mike. I mean, I'm learning about these two fighters basically for the first time this week, you know, just kind of doing my general, uh, you know, preview for myself, like introducing, you know, what their kind of records are. Generally, I was kind of surprised to see that, you know, the odds are so even for this, you know, Hooker who's had, you know, so much more experience. Chandler, who really is getting promoted from almost like uh, equivalent to a minor league in fighting. Um, Mike, I'm kind of uh, curious what your take is on this. How do you think uh, you would adjust the odds or would you leave him like this? Because Hooker is a minus 130 favorite, but Chandler is only a plus 100 underdog. So it's really 50-50. I'm curious what you would set the odds at for this one. Mm-hmm. I think I think Vegas got it pretty, pretty respectfully correct there. You know, sometimes you see odds. You know, I think the I think the McGregor Poirier odds are, you know, a little disingenuous to how close this fight's going to be. Here, mm-hmm. I think Vegas is, you know, being a lot more forthright in, in how close this contest could be. You know, Bellator is not the UFC. Let's get, you know, let's point to the elephant in the room and, and say what it, it is. That being said, I mean, Michael Chandler's a three-time champion. He's fought former UFC champions. You know, he, he's no slouch. He's definitely, I mean, you know, this is the man that the UFC we're going to have make his debut as a potential backup to Justin Gaethje versus Habib Nurmagomedov. I mean, mm-hmm. your debut is against Khabib. <laughs> you know, I'll smash you, or Justin Gaethje, I'll spark you. Like that, you know that that is certainly a scarier introduction to the UFC than Dan Hooker potentially. But I think that this is a very uh, appropriate assessment for you know, his skill level, we're going to see, you know, can these Bellator champions, you know, these storied Bellator athletes, you know, the best that the, the best that the organization has to offer per se, hang with the UFC, you know, elite with the hangman per se. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, just looking at, you know, uh, sort of dimensions and, and age of guys, Hooker obviously is a little bit younger yeah, he's 30. Chandler's 34. Hooker's also taller He by, I think, three inches, maybe even four. I'm not sure. I've seen Chandler listed yeah. as 5'8 and 5'9 a couple different places. Hooker stands six feet tall. Uh, and then he's also got the advantage reach-wise. So I think for Chandler, it's just going to really be about, you know, being as calculated as possible, taking risks, but taking risks in, in a very smart way. Because obviously, you know, with, you know, Dan Hooker's sort of, past i mean he's only he's lost twice since 2017 one of those was to dustin poirier by decision in five rounds which that in and of itself is extremely impressive that was uh over this past summer 
And then in uh, December of 2018, he lost uh, in the third round uh, KO to Edson Barboza. Those are not really bad losses. Hooker has been very impressive. He's got the pedigree, you know, to really show out. And I think it's just going to be all about can sort of similar to what I was saying with the McGregor Poirier can Chandler, you know, weather the storm that he knows he's getting from a larger and longer reach uh, from hooker and, you know, sort of take the opportunities as they come, because I think if he does that, you know, again, you really don't know what you're getting necessarily just because of that leap from Bellator to UFC. So again, hooker can't take too many risks. He's got to play it smart, but if Chandler does also play just as smart, he's got, I think as good a shot to win this as anyone. This isn't the first time that Michael Chandler is facing a bigger opponent. You know, he, Mm -hmm. he, in an interview that I was watching last, last night, he discussed how, you know, he's, he is five, nine, even though he's listed at five, eight sometimes. And then he's, you know, he's used to sparring. He's used to fighting some of these bigger guys, given that, you know, the 155 pound weight class can, you know, sometimes you can sneak in there when you're six feet and you're Dan Hooker and you're a little skinnier. You know, I think what Michael Chandler really has going for him in this fight is that a lot of his career, he's taken the kind of Mike Tyson approach, being the smaller guy, kind of, you know, ducking in there, you know, ripping uppercuts, ripping hooks to the body, securing takedowns and getting that ground and pound and really, you know, leaning on that wrestling background. If you're Dan Hooker, you know, your your path to victory also might be your bread and butter this fight, you know, standing near range, hitting them with beautiful strikes, elbows, yeah. knees, you know, all angles, creative, Get the legs beautiful the flurries that, that they're known for down there at City Kickboxing. I mean, you don't train with Israel Adesanya seven days a week and not yeah. learn a thing or two. That's quite the partner. This, this fight, I think, you know, while it is the co-main event and is certainly, you know, not like a sleeper fight, this fight could be just as exciting, if not more, than the main event. All right, boys, let's cut to the chase. Let's hear some of your predictions for these. Uh, I'm all ears. You know, I'm the student. You guys are the teachers. Uh, Let me hear for both these fights. We'll start with the undercard. Who's going to win? Which round? And uh, by what um, by what measure will they be taking this victory physically, of course? For the co-main event. I, you know, despite the fact that I've been hyping up these guys as real finishers, you've got truly some of the most durable gentlemen in this division. You know, Michael Chandler is almost unfinished in, in some of his, you know, some of his losses certainly have come, you know, being choked out, being uh, knocked out TKOs and all that. But I think those, you know, you watch the footage and there's sometimes very freak injuries and it's very odd, you know, Dan Hooker, stayed in there for five rounds against Dustin Poirier and, you know, almost won that fight and, you know, was finished by a man who's the only man in the UFC to hold finishes via leg kick, body kick and head kick and Edson Barboza. That being said, I do like uh, Dan Hooker uh, via the judges scorecard unanimous decision after the end of three rounds in this fight. I think that his conditioning, I think that staying at range will be um, too much for Michael Chandler. All right. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I'm going to agree with you uh, to an extent. I also like hooker in this one. I just think the UFC experience, you know, the size uh, sort of advantage that he holds over Chandler, even though Chandler, like you mentioned, has fared well against bigger and longer reach opponents. I think that's going to play uh, to hookers advantage in this one. I'm going to say hooker, but you know, I have a, this is a weird feeling. I have a feeling we have a submission on our hands, I think. 
Oh. I, I I don't I don't want to say what round because no, I really no, just no. I don't know. But I have a weird feeling. I'm gonna say Hooker by submission after the first round, second, third, I'm, whatever it might be. Okay. But I, I like Hooker by submission. You know, I, it's a gut feeling. Of course, it's probably gonna end up losing me some money, like all <laughs> these fights generally do. But you know, you gotta you gotta trust your gut sometimes. So yeah, give me Hooker by submission in this one. All right. I, I certainly think that you know, given. Michael Chandler's tendency to rush in for takedowns that he might find his neck out there. That's not exactly. You get a a a triangle choke or something. You get a guillotine. I mean, who knows, you know, Dan Hooker is not to be messed with. That is for sure. All right. We got a undercard set now and our main event here for, for your spot here, Michael, Uh, we're going to wrap up this, this round table with your McGregor Poirier predictions. I mean, let's let's just get it out there. I am a Conor McGregor fangirl. Really? I love this man. I <laughs> I will, you know, when one of us go to war, we all go to war. I, I've got m- multiple bottles of proper 12 in my apartment. You know, I'm I'm very excited for Saturday night. It's the the king is back, the return of Mystic Mac. Um, you know, bias aside though, I really do think that you know, Khabib and Connor are, are, are in a separate class when it comes to, and, you know, Khabib might even be in a class of his own. That's a whole other episode. Um, True. But I, I, you know, as many leaps and bounds as Dustin Poirier has made since they last fought, I mean, you see what happened the last time they fought and you see what, what a motivated Connor McGregor can do in 40 seconds against a legend in the UFC um, in mm-hmm. Donald Cerrone, who's not cutting any weight at 175 pounds or at 175 pounds or 170 pounds excuse me (laughs) i i do like mcgregor's chances of a ko or a tko in the second round i don't think you know he's going to get that first 60 second knockout like he says he will um i think dustin's too durable i think you know he's certainly a less emotional fighter coming into this fight but i don't think that's going to save him from that storied left hand that fans like me have come to know and love. I think it's going to find its home halfway through the second round, later in the second round. That being said, I think if Dustin Poirier is going to win this fight, he's going to finish it before the fifth round. I like, I like the fourth round, maybe early fifth round. And I like, I like it via submission. I think you'd like to embarrass Connor in that way. Yeah. All right. I like that. I mean, that actually is a perfect segue into my prediction for this one. You know, I am not in the same boat as you. I'm not a Conor McGregor lover. I respect his, you know, absolute domination sort of mixed martial arts. I mean, there's just no doubt that he's one of the most technically skilled fighters we've ever seen. I mean, just period. That is a fact. That said, you know, I've flip-flopped my position, actually, since we've begun recording this. I, I'm going to go with Poirier. Oh. Uh, I think he, I think if he, if, if he can get past the first round, 
which that is a big if, you know, it's still Connor McGregor. You know, he's going to come out, uh, you know, firing on all cylinders. You know, it's going to be a really intense open to that fight. However, if Poirier can manage to weather the storm and get beyond the first round, I like his odds. I'm going to say a third round TKO victory. And then he is going to be set up for a blockbuster fight against Khabib Nurmagomedov. But again, you know, that's a big if there's a lot going on. There's a lot that needs to happen, but I love taking the underdog. You know, there's more value there. Uh, and, and I think Pori is a man on a mission, regardless yeah. of what Connor thinks and what Connor is able to do. So, you know, let's go to Poirier. Hopefully you can dethrone the King, but as of right now, that is not the case. What, what really excites me if you're a Dustin Poirier fan here, or, you know, if you're looking to make some money on Dustin Poirier is that, you know, if, if you were to bet today, you know, when these odds, I think, have Dustin at 230 plus 230, you know, that's yeah. a little disrespectful to Dustin Poirier. Right. He was only, uh, you know, one round shorter against Khabib than Connor was. Uh, I really mm-hmm. think that, you know, you, you there's money, you know, there's there's added value in in the hype that Connor is getting from Vegas if you're a Dustin Poirier mm-hmm. fan looking to yeah. make some bets. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we've seen all of the reports also in the past couple of days. There have already been some, I mean, which has obviously affected the line, at least to a certain extent, some heavy betters uh, in favor of McGregor. So, you know, people are a little down on Poirier, and not to say that it, it isn't necessarily warranted, but sometimes that underdog status can come back to bite you in the ass. I mean, we haven't seen it quite yet with McGregor as much, you know, there's a first time for everything. So give me Poirier third round TKO. I'm feeling good about that one. I'll lock it in. All right. Good shit. And one final note. Uh, we actually got some odds for for the rounds. Um, to go cut just quick before we before we finish this off, I want to hear a, a yes or no from both of you guys. It's currently plus 155 for the fight to go uh, three rounds or more. So So over two and a half. Do you think that 155 is a worthy bet going over two and a half? Do you think it goes to three rounds or do you think it's not a worthy bet? Michael, let me go to you real quick. I I, I mean, you know, we're going to know how this fight's going to go. I think within the first round, I think. Yep. If, you know, it's going to be very, it's going to be, you know, very easy to understand the trajectory of this fight. Does Connor land that big shot early? Does he really wobble Dustin? I think that is, I mean, I, I'd be, I'm going to have to think about that. And because I'm going to have to think about that, I means I like it, you know, All right. (laughs) I I like, I like the over, you know, Dustin's a durable guy. These guys aren't really, you know, draining themselves down to the extent when they first fought, you know, each, each glancing shot might not do the damage it once did. That being said, you know, Conor McGregor, when you, when you read the interviews or when you listen to the interviews from his opponents after they've fought him, a lot of the time what surprises them is the speed, the speed at which they get hit. You know, they, they blink and, and suddenly they're on the ground. You know, they didn't even see the shot. It's not a question <laughs> yeah. of, whoa, that shot really rocked me. It's, you know, where did it come from? And the exciting thing is if you're a Connor fan like me is that that speed doesn't really go away at 155 pounds. So I feel like, you know, it go, but it does go away in those first three rounds. Yeah. I was just about right. to say that's in the fight. <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I got to agree with you. I like the over too. I mean, I, I just think, you know, like you said, McGregor's tendency just to completely level guys so quickly is, is pretty much matched. That said, it's already happened to Poirier once. You know he's going to want to really redeem himself in a big way, even if he doesn't necessarily win. It's, I think it'll be a much better showing, a much uh, longer-lasting fight. And I, I like three-plus rounds, too. I think that uh, – I wouldn't say it's a lock like some of the other bets that I might be placing on this, but, I, I mean, I think that that is as likely as any fight that we've seen Connor. And, you know, I think this fight is going to be the one that could go a much more uh, significant distance. All right. I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys are, are, are bullying on the three plus rounds because, uh, you know, as we know, the, the more boxing you get for the fucking astronomical pay-per-view price, I feel like the happier everyone else is uh, who's who's viewing the, the competition. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. It's been so fun to preview these and uh, excited yes, to sir. see how it all pans out. I, I think we know we know who you're going to be backing, though. Yep. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. You know, um. I'm definitely excited for Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> for those listening, gonna, he just he just whipped out the proper twelve handles. We got we got the two proper twelve bottles here on deck. It's gonna be <laughs> oh, yeah. you know a, a McGregor household. We're gonna be open the Irish. It's gonna be a, <laughs> it's gonna be a real firecracker evening. I'm really excited. I think the fans are really in for a treat with the yeah. co-main event and the main event. This Saturday, UFC 257 main card starts at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 10 p.m. Eastern. Yes, it does. Available on yeah, it's gonna ESPN+. Be awesome Plus. But yeah. in the meantime, be safe. Thanks again. And in your case, go, Connor, go. Peace out, Mike. Looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Call your mom. <laughs> Love you all. Thank you, of course, again to Mike for coming on. We always love talking UFC with him, but enough is enough. Let's get down to the nitty gritty with our wager wire selections for this week. Uh, you know, we got a lot of great stuff between the NFL. We have the NHL, like I, like I mentioned, the fights, and uh, we also have the NBA going on. But I think I'm going to be sticking with primarily NFL for this week, just because, you know, it, it's the championship weekend. You gotta, you gotta at least have some take that some money on it. I'll go into my first pick right now. Uh, similar to my prediction for the NFC championship. I'm riding with the bucks plus three visiting the Packers. I, I, I like, you know, the Packers are really good. And if they win, will it surprise me at all? No, you know, they're a great team and Rogers is playing. I think in my opinion, the best he's ever played. But, you know, again, I've been saying this every week. Brady always gives you a chance. And, and I mean, the Bucks, I think, just continue to prove to every week out that, that they're here to stay. You know, they, they want to make a real statement. Brady wants to make a statement as not just a, the Patriots quarterback, but an incredible quarterback, period. He's already done that and is, I think, going to continue to this week. And, at the end of the day, I, 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 how could you bet against Brady? I've been on the wrong end of that so many times, and I, I've pretty much always regretted it. The only time I ever get, bet against Brady and it actually hit was that Eagles Super Bowl. But again, that was like a thing. So give me the Bucks plus three against the Packers, uh, just because I think that they're going to show out a lot more than people realize. 
Okay. All right. I, um, you know, I'm not surprised you went that way given your affinity for the, the Brady Buccaneers, but I'm actually going to go with my first wager on the other side. I'm going to take the Packers minus three and a half in this game. Like, not not to not to be right. high, but like you're you know you're saying like don't bet against Brady and it's never a good idea to bet against Brady but like could say the same thing for Aaron Rodgers I mean like most of the time when people bet against him they end up in shambles and with a minus number on their balance in their betting account because that's how good Aaron Rodgers is and uh I did a little number crunch here for you Ethan so put this in your pipe and smoke it Brady has They're suffered. Right. 11 playoff losses in his career, okay? Obviously, all with the Patriots between 2005 and 2019. And I kind of went into each of those teams, each of those uh, losses that he suffered and looked at the opponent, how they ranked offensively and defensively just by points scored and points given up. And in these games Mm -hmm. against opponents with defenses who are outside the top 10, uh, who are kind of middle of the road, mediocre, Brady's only put up more than 17 points one out of six times among the six times that he's faced uh, and then lost against opponents with defense outside the top 10. So he has a tendency to fall prey to beatable defenses who normally have their way, like with these powerful Pats offenses in these games, you know, these surprise losses, because as much as I've, you know, loved being a Pats fan and rooting for Brady, you know, there's been a lot of playoff disappointments over the course of his career, especially in that kind of sandwich 10 years when they didn't win any championships between 2004 and 2014. And then in only two out of these 11 losses, they've managed to score over 21 points. So these losses that Brady has suffered over the course of his career have, you know, not really been as competitive when you compare that with Aaron Rodgers' playoff losses over the course of his starting tenure, you know, between 2009, 2019, uh, the Packers have suffered eight losses in the playoffs, but, you know, there have been different iterations of bad games for both of these Hall of Fame quarterbacks in their playoff losses that they have suffered. And every single one that Rodgers yeah. has suffered, he scored over 20 points. So the Packers have looked a lot better, even in the L's uh, that they've suffered in the postseason. So I'm liking the Packers in this one because their bad games, they still have a better chance at winning than most of the Patriots have had in their bad games with Brady at the helm. Um, obviously, you know, one of them is going to have a good day. One of them is going to have a bad day, but I'm just going to give the Packers the edge in that regard. And since 2009, since Rogers started playing for green Bay, uh, they're 12 and six against the spread in playoff games. So that's a really high cover rate. And finally, I think Rogers, you know, this is a seminal game, a seminal moment for his career. He's been building toward this shit for over a decade. Just think about all the Rogers teams that have come up short in the NFC playoffs with high expectations Obviously, I mentioned that 2011 yeah. year, they went 15-1. and one. Rodgers has MVP season. Then the next Rodgers MVP season, 2014, that was a big shock. Uh, incredible game uh, against the Seahawks and that NFC Championship with the Brandon Bostic botched onside kick. And then in 2016-2019, you know, they were also a high seed and lost the NFC Championship. I don't think he'll be denied this time around. Give me Packers minus three and a half against the Bucks. All right. I mean, you make an enticing argument and of course it can go either way. I think this game is, you know, it's setting up for a real good one regardless, but of course I have to disagree too. However, uh, let me get into my second wager wire pick. I, you know, I have been riding overs for a lot of the season. I'm going to, even though they never hit, I'm going to continue to do so. Give me the bills chiefs over 54 points. And this is with a caveat if Mahomes plays, which again, it seems 
more likely than not as of now that he's going to play, but you still never know what's going to happen. But if he plays, I like this over a lot uh, just because, you know, you have two extremely high powered offenses going at it. I mean, both teams are averaging over 30 points per game. You have some of the best position players in the league on, you know, on the bills and on the chiefs, you have two of the best young quarterbacks in the league outside of maybe uh, Deshaun Watson, who even know, I mean, it's these two, like these guys are just dominating everything. Uh, I think the weather also, the fact that they're playing in Arrowhead and not in Orchard Park, you know, even if it's going to be cold, you're not going to get crazy lake effect snow or anything. You know, you don't have to worry about that quite as much. And I think with all these factors playing in and the fact that they're such offensive oriented teams, I think this over is is pretty much a lock. So lock it in over 54 points, Bills, Chiefs. Okay. Yeah, it's, lo- love that. Love the mention of you always taking the overs and they never hit. But I think they sometimes hit. Don't, don't sell yourself short there. I mean, that's betting. Like most times nothing's going to hit. It's just the way it goes. Of course, of course. So keeping that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and keep wagering some more money. <laughs> um, I'm taking for my second wager. <laughs> I'm siding with the bills here. I uh, Like we had kind of talked about with our game previews, I think everything is working toward Buffalo's favor in this game. And I think with Mahomes – with the slight chance if he does become declared out, this is going to be a no-brainer. But even if Pat plays, he's not going to be at 100% full health, and they won't be using him as freely as they were before. So I think there's going to be some limitation here for the Chiefs offense. Kind of like I've been saying, you know, they've been cruising for a bruise, and they've only covered in like two or out of the past eight games, something ridiculous. You know, they're only three and five against the spread at home this season. So a lot of these games, you know, they're the teams are within striking distance of Kansas City and possibly more than we understand because of the spreads, the lines have been set so wide, so far in their favor. Since 2018, the Mahomes-led Casey Chiefs, they're only 12 and 13 against the spread at home. So it's not like they're automatic, whereas, you know, you're looking at Buffalo and as an underdog in 2020, they've been 4-1 and one against the spread. And since 2017 in the McDermott era, they're fifth in the NFL against the spread on yeah. the road. They've got 19 and 12 against the spread on the road. So, uh, you know, they play well with points, um, you know, in this McDermott regime. Like I said, you know, the Bills defense, they're trending in the right direction after a really solid performance versus the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Ravens only picked up 220 yards in this game. You know, you can chalk it up kind of like what we were talking about to the miscues on defense with, um, you know, the blown coverages and then Tucker missing the field goals and Lamar not playing well and then getting injured. But, you cannot deny that the Bills' defensive uh, composure and coherence ended up carrying them to the W when the Ravens had 35 minutes of possession compared to the Bills' only 24 minutes. I mean, when a team has 35 minutes of possession and they only get three points on the board, you really got to praise the defense for you know that strength and stability, not letting up a touchdown when you've been on the field for 35 minutes. That's really impressive. I really like that one stat nugget for the Bills. And just kind of hearkening back to their first matchup, you know, KC defeated Buffalo 26 to 17 uh, by nine points. And since that game, Buffalo has only lost once. And that was the Hale Murray game, whereas KC is also one out, but they barely scraped by in many of these games. So that is all to kind of say that they've faced a similar, more similar than most analysts would like to acknowledge, a more similar trajectory heading into this AFC championship. Yet I think Buffalo is shaping up a lot better. Uh, to take over that Lamar Hunt trophy from the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Josh Allen time, baby. Give me Bills plus three and plus 130 on the money line. All right. I mean, look, judging from our predictions earlier, I think you and I are both on the same page with that one. So I love that pick for sure. Uh, Let me get into my final wager wire pick. I'm actually going to go away from football because, you know, we like other sports on this podcast too. Uh, I'm going back to what we were talking about earlier during the UFC roundtable that we did with Michael. Um, And, you know, I'm going to ride with my prediction. I I like Poirier uh, in the third round. It doesn't really matter by what, uh, but, you know, I'm going to say, I'll say TKO, but I like Poirier winning in the third round plus 2,500. I think that there's a lot of value there. I think like Mike and I were both alluding to uh, McGregor's getting a lot more of the hype and he's, it's not that it's a disrespectful line, but I think Poirier and, you know, his history as a fighter warrants a little bit more, than what he's been getting from Vegas. You know, I think if, like I said, if he can sort of outlast McGregor past that first round, he's got a good chance to take this one. Um, And yeah, you know, it's just really going to come down to, can he weather the storm of McGregor's left hand? I think I've said that like a hundred times today (laughs) when we've been recording, but that's really just when you boil it all down, that's what it's going to come down to. And yeah, I feel good about Poirier. I think he's a man on a mission. So give me Poirier round three plus 2,500 with some incredible value, I might add. All right. I fucking love the underdog backing. I yeah. might, might just draw me in and, and entice me for that one as well. And uh, with my third wager of this week, I'm also kind of uh, coming out of left field here, taking a non-traditional sport. And this, this is a special wager. Okay. So I'm placing a wager for the PGA tournament this weekend in La Quinta, California, (laughs) uh, the PGA West stadium course. Okay. This is the American express tournament. And this one's close to my heart because uh, as you know, Ethan, you know, I've really gotten into the sport of golf this year and I actually played this 18 hole course. I played it back in September in 115 degree weather, absolutely fucking impossible to deal with. I think I shot something absolutely horrible, like a one Oh six, but, you know, I just really wanted to take a couple picks here because, um, you know, it's a, it's the course, probably the most beautiful course that I've played. And um, I want to just take some picks here. I'm going to take uh, some long shots, Sam Burns or Cameron Champ to win the American Express. They're sitting at plus 5,000, plus 4,200 odds, respectively. So some pretty insane long shots here. But, you know, fuck it. Why not take uh, these two young guys? Had to take a pick for this tournament when I've actually played the course myself. And, you know, just like this wager, how out of nowhere it is, the winner of this tournament usually comes out of nowhere himself with a younger player who can drive far and score low at the stadium course. Because as much as it kicked my ass, you know, the pros, they tend to kick the course's ass because of how beatable it can be, especially with the just beautiful conditions there usually are at La Quinta around this time of the year instead of playing in 115 in September like a fucking psycho like I did. Um, but... <laughs> Back to Burns, you know, he's third on the tour and shots gained off the tee. Fifth in average drive, fifth in greens regulation, you know. Because the scores end up so low, the past two winners have been like minus 26, um, you know, after the final day. I like these young guys to come out of nowhere, these heavy hitters. Uh, you know, Burns finishing uh, tied six here last year with a final round, 63. And then Cameron Champ, who's a notorious long mm-hmm. driver. He's already got two PGA tournament wins on his resume. So give me these two guys to come out of nowhere and take the dub in the American express at beautiful La Quinta. All right. Yeah. I like that. You know, I love a good golf uh, betting odds. So that's always a little fun thing to throw in. 
you know, we got to move on to other segments. It's already going to be a hoss of an episode. So we thank everybody <laughs> for listening to this point. You know, what kind of podcast would we be if we didn't take a step back into the hot take time machine? Uh, Theo, what do we got on tap for this week? All right, Ethan, uh, serving it up this week's special, uh, cranking back the time machine to 2008, January 20th, 2008. Uh, we have the NFC championship between it feels like a whole fucking different era of football at this point. Uh, the New York Giants, led by Eli Manning, taking on the Green Bay Packers, led by Brett Favre, in Favre's la- what would ultimately be his last game as a Green Bay Packer. Uh, Giants upset the Packers in this one, 23-20 to 20 in overtime. Big shock to, to mm-hmm. everyone watching. Um, you know, the Giants ended up going on to Super Bowl, I think, 41 it was, and then obviously pulling off an even bigger upset against the New England Patriots. But the reason, Ethan, that I'm bringing this time machine to the table is that uh, it's quite interesting when you when you harken back to this game, just, you know, looking at Green Bay, you know, specifically uh, just kind of the legacy that and the impact, the rippling effects that this loss has had, um, you know, with the subsequent Brett Favre retirement after the sensational kind of farewell season that he had for Green Bay. And then the next season, you know, Aaron Rodgers uh, taking over at the helm and then obviously – uh, winning a Super Bowl a couple years later. But Rodgers hasn't gotten back to that Super Bowl level uh, basically since then. So, um, you know, obviously a whole yeah. different era in in the NFL, uh, especially, you know, with the Giants finishing off that playoff run with a championship. Um, of course, you know, nightmares for, for my Patriots that David Tyree catch later on. But, you know, this is quite significant of, a, you know, NFC championship outcome, especially the rippling effects as it's seen throughout the NFL. But, um what, when you think about this game comes to your mind? Yeah. I mean, I, I just like what you said about the, you know, the really like pointed part of like, okay, this is the beginning of the Aaron Rodgers era in green Bay, because obviously, you know, that's been what we've known since then. I mean, green Bay is every year a contender as long as Rodgers is healthy. He's just yep. that much of a generational talent. And, and, you know, like you said, the, the Packers withers are a tough team to bet against. And uh, this is a 2008 NFC championship. Then the, in 2010, they go on to win the Super Bowl. You know, they're really just completely flip-flopped to that stalwart in the NFC and in the NFL in general. And I, I think this is notable just because while it was the end of the, the era in terms of Brett Favre before, you know, he went crazy with all those different retirements. Um <laughs> I mean, this also was the start of perhaps an even more awe-inspiring era, I would say, with Aaron Rodgers, just because of how magical he is on offense and with the football. And, you know, like you said, it's going to be more of the same this weekend, I think. Rodgers is just going to continue to dazzle. The only difference is now they're not playing the lowly Giants, you know, who were a wild-card team. They are playing Tom Brady. And, yeah, they were a wild-card team, too. But the Giants didn't have Tom Brady. The the Bucks do. And, you know, we're I think we're in for a real showdown this week. And we're gonna see if Rodgers can, you know, just add another accolade to his reign in Green Bay or if Brady is just gonna continue to dominate the NFL like he has for the past twenty years. Right. And um kind of just to wrap this one up, uh, I'm gonna mention some of these stat lines of of players from this uh, archive, you know, some real throwback guys. In this game, Donald Driver, dancing with the stars hero himself, caught a 90-yard touchdown pass from Brett Favre early in this game. You know, you'd think that'd give Green Bay all the momentum. He finished with 
a sensational 140-yard yards day with a touchdown, the aforementioned. Then on the flip side, uh, the New York Giants, Plaxico Burris answered with an 151-yard performance himself. Uh, And then, of course, the Giants, two-headed monster, Brandon Jacobs, Ahmad Bradshaw, kind of sharing the load, both of them having stellar days with 60 yards and a touchdown and really delivering the win for the New York Giants in this game. So shout out to my Giants boys, uh, Fish and Tenor. Uh, obviously a big moment for that franchise and that fandom. <laughs> and uh, excited to see, you know, this new era Green Bay Packers try and rectify some of these NFC Championship losses of old, uh, you know, like we mentioned, 2007, 2011, 2014. Uh, you know, all these great Packers teams and let's see if they can deliver and complete the mission here uh, on this coming Sunday, the 2021 NFC championship. And we're in for a great weekend between the two AFC and NFC championship games, the fights. Also, we got college basketball, we got NBA, we got it all. So, you know, just buckle up everybody, get ready. And we will see you guys all next week. eh? Yeah. Let's fucking go. Thank you, everyone, for making it through this whole episode. Uh, If you are one of the few who hasn't jumped around from timestamp to timestamp, regardless, we appreciate uh, you taking (laughs) time to listen to us, you know, give our hot takes and uh, give our analysis of these games. And said it best, Ethan, let's get this shit going and uh, kick off the NFL semis and excited for the football that we've got in store in these big events this weekend. Yes, sir. Thanks again, everybody. And see you guys next week. Yeah.